In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Justin Jackson about how to start working towards making a full-time living from your own projects. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 73. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 73 of the Full Stack Radio Podcast, and today I am back with Justin Jackson, who's been on the show before. How's it going, Justin? Doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. We just had a, a baby a couple weeks ago, so getting used to yeah. that, but but overall, uh, life is good. So Yeah. Well, congrats. I Having a kid is a big life change, but it does it does make life better eventually. Awesome. Good to know. I need that reassurance. So um, today what I was hoping to talk about was I think a lot of like creatives and like the programming sort of world have this sort of dream of one day being able to like make a living just working on like their own projects and the stuff that is sort of exciting to them. And Mm -hmm. um, you and I both are uh, fortunate enough to have been able to make that transition from like working a regular full-time job to being able to make a full-time living from products. So I thought it would yeah. be interesting to sort of talk about, um, you know, how someone might go about trying to make that transition from working full-time uh, to getting paid to work on their own projects and sort of uh, the things that people can do wrong uh, that kind of make that harder or some things that can help them make that process easier. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe a good place to start would be like, what was the very first product that you created or put out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do remember the phase that happened before, which is where I think a lot of people are, are at, which is, you know, sitting in my car, driving into Edmonton, Alberta, and just hating traffic and feeling like if there was a way that I could have the freedom not to have to drive into work every day an hour in and an hour out that that would be incredible. And then, uh, you know, this continued for, you know, months and months and months, just me coming in. And it it was almost like I'd, I'd return home a little more depressed every day, just like (laughs) so aggravated with my situation. And then something happened and that was, I got introduced to Getting Real by Jason Fried and David Hannemeyer Hansen. And I found this podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. And so I would start, as I was driving into work, I would start listening to Startups for the Rest of Us. And actually at the time, David and Jason had a, a podcast as well. They just relaunched their podcast, but this was an older version of that show and I just listened to it, listened to it. And this is kind of what I learned was the best way to achieve that dream is to start now and start small. And so I started blogging more regularly, just kind of getting out there more regularly. And uh, I started a podcast called Product People. And... Yeah, this is the first thing I ever built was I, as I was doing those shows, I eventually kind of built a small audience and they started asking me questions. And after answering the same questions over and over and over again, 
I decided to just combine it into a little book and it was around how do you get like your stuff noticed? Like they'd noticed how I'd been able to, you know, launch this podcast and get a bunch of listeners and a lot of my blog posts, like I'd written this post called, uh, this is a web page that had gone really crazy. And so I just wrote a little book called Amplification that was all about um, getting to bigger audiences with your stuff. And I think I sold it for, what was it again? Um, it was like 19 bucks. And how much did I make from that? I can't even remember, but it was, it was like a couple thousand bucks. But, you know, when that first sale rolled in, I was like, oh my God, like this is it. This is the path to freedom. Even though it was just, you know, that first 19 bucks, seeing that you could create something on the side and sell it to an audience kind of opened my mind. And yeah, ever since then, I've just been kind of building on that same thing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think it was just a little ebook that was like 19 bucks. Um, ebooks are nice because they, they, you know, it's not like building sophisticated software. It's not like a huge commitment. You just have to sit down and write it, which can be hard. But if you've already been talking about things quite a bit, a lot of it is just solidifying things that you talk about all the time on Twitter or on your blog. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of an interesting topic in general is just like, what are a good types of first projects because I know like I've been victim to this as well, but as a developer, like the golden sort of goose is, you know, I want to build a SAS app and quit my job to run this like awesome SAS app. So I'm going to start hacking on this SAS app on the side and hopefully people sign up and I make a bunch of money and stuff. But I think I can only think of like one example off the top of my head of anyone I know that has been able to pull that off. And I know that like, the first thing I tried to create was a SaaS app and I, I made it, it was like super small, super kind of minimal. And I really intentionally kept the scope really small so that I could like actually finish it and launch it. And, um, I put that out there. I have a handful of customers on it still, but because I was like working full time, there's no time to like, to grow it. You know what I mean? It's not like something where it's just like, it's done. It's, there's always new features to add. There's always content to write. Um, it's just really hard to have the energy to really like grind on that, uh, forever. So yeah, what do you think? Yeah. And no, sorry. Go ahead. Well, just on that topic, I think the, the, the challenge is that when you're talking, especially when you're talking about something that's more sophisticated, like a web app, the, the challenge is if you've never sold anything in your life. Um, you're learning, you have to learn a bunch of skills really, really fast. And not only that, um, you have to, <laughs> most, the, the, the problem most people have is they don't know how to make something people want. And so they build something they think, you know, a group of people need, or they build something that they think is interesting, or they build something on top of, um, you know, a, a technology stack that they think is kind of cool. But none of those things <laughs> translate to – it's not like you can code it and people just magically show up just because you coded it. It's It doesn't work that way. And what – you know, even 37 Signals, uh, if you go way back, if you go to Wayback Machine and you like look at their site like 
long time ago. What, when they were still, uh, like a design agency, their first products was a usability workshop, one day usability workshop called, uh, what was it, Kelly? I think it was like how we work. They were doing how we work back then. And then they had these research reports that they sold as like they were PDFs. One was like an e-commerce search report. And then they also did custom on-site corporate training. So they were doing like these smaller projects and they're all, you'll notice they're all education based. And I think education kind of product products just make sense for most folks because most folks have something they could teach and basically if you can build a web app around it you can first start by teaching it so if you're going to build a project management app you could first teach people how you manage projects yeah if you're going to you know if you're going to build a accounting app you can first teach people how to better do their accounting and you're going to learn so much building something small like a workshop or a downloadable PDF or even like an on- on-site training like they did. Uh, and you're going to discover what people really want. And so as you're, you know, meeting with real people who have paid you real dollars, <laughs> you're going to be able to see some trends. You're going to be able to see, you know, what? whoa, we were going to build it, you know, our project management app this way based on this philosophy, but people really respond to this philosophy, right? Or I've noticed a trend, which is every person I talk to has gone through six project management apps in the last six months. Maybe this isn't the best uh, area for me to build in, you know, like people just start with no information. They don't understand the customer. They don't understand how hard it is to get a customer. They don't understand how customers buy. They don't understand what customers are really looking for. And it, you're just building blind until you can actually get real money from real people. And that's kind of the education you need. Um, I kind of joke like I have my business degree, but I learned more in the four months of launching Amplification than I learned in four years of business school, right? Yeah. Like you just learn so much. And... um until you've got that education, it's going to be really hard for you to jump to the major leagues and build software first that people care about, but then actually be able to market it and make it profitable. Like it's, like you said, very few people can do that. It's just, it's just so hard. Yeah. And I think like the only times I've seen it work is when someone had like a really significant advantage already in terms of like having a massive audience or something that they built up from some other means you know what i mean and having people who care about what they're working on so that people even know that they're working on it because i think like the other problem that people run into is they they build an app and they expect people to just find it and use it but first of all nobody knows um you know who this person who built the app even is let alone Mm -hmm. like what the app is you know um so it can definitely be hard i think something that's interesting that like you mentioned like the educational products and stuff i think like there's prob- I think there's a tendency amongst people who want to build software to sort of think like, I want to build an app though. I don't want to write a book or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think the the thing that's interesting that you have to think about there is like anytime you build software for someone, you're like trying to help them solve a problem. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And yeah. writing a book for that person to help them solve that same problem is like the same 
thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't know. I think like um, I was trying to think earlier, but like when I was trying to prepare for this this podcast, I was trying to think like what are sorts of products that people can make um, that aren't like SaaS apps that would be good options for getting started. And I really can't come up with anything better than like uh, an info product, right? Like an ebook or a course or something like that. I think like I think like um, for me, uh, what I realized that's that has been really important is. I don't think trying to get like recurring revenue is like the right way to start just because you can't charge a lot for recurring revenue most of the time and trying to get someone to commit to paying a subscription for something is like a lot harder than trying to get someone to just like fork out some cash once for something. Yeah. And if you create like a course or a book or something, you can like kind of front load a lot of that, a lot of your earnings, which can help you sort of bankroll maybe riskier plays after the fact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like Ian Landsman is one guy that is like, I don't want to, I don't want to write a fucking ebook, you know, like he, (laughs) he just, he just wants to build the software and for him it's worked out. But what Ian had was he had an unnatural advantage because he had already done, essentially he'd worked in that industry forever he really understood the problems. He had customers kind of already, and he was able to, you know, create something and then sell it to customers right away. So I think if, like, one piece of advice I give is if you're already consulting, if you're already, let's say, working in an industry and you can see, like, there's a big demand for something and you can almost, like, build it on the side and then sell it to your existing clients or, the company you work for or whatever, that's an awesome way to start too. Um, if, if you have clients that come to you all the time, like one client comes to you and says, I really need this little widget built. And then another client comes and says the same thing and that gets repeated over and over again, then yeah, <laughs> make it into a service, uh, software as a service. And then, uh, you know, charge them your consulting rate for it, run it on your SaaS, and, see what they say. And if they're like, man, this is amazing. This custom little thing you built for us in the back of your mind, you're like, wow, I didn't really build it custom. It's like something I'm plugging into a bunch of clients and everybody loves it and everybody's getting use out of it. Then you can parlay, parlay that into uh, recurring revenue. So that's one way to start is you don't have to write an ebook. You could just be um, kind of really what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of open and observant if you're already um, doing consulting work. Like what things do people ask you for over and over and over again? Or what solutions have you built that folks are still using that could easily be turned into a web app? Yeah. I think just the general idea of like if you're building stuff for clients and you can start to notice trends in the stuff that you're building or you can figure out ways to like reuse some of the work you did for this client for this new client um if you're smart about it you can figure out how to roll that into either like some sort of productized service right where you can start selling this sort of implementation of whatever feature it is at like some you know fixed price or you know you can eventually turn that into like a plugin that you can sell or something like that i can't remember the who it was but i remember hearing a story about someone who did this with i think it was like um a Shopify like store locator map widget or something. Have yeah. You, heard, you know yeah. what I'm talking Tyler about? Tyler Tringus. 
Okay. Tyler Tringus created um, Store Mapper, and he's got a great story. Um, yeah, if you if you if you Google Store Map the Store Mapper story, Tyler Tringus he he talks about um, kind of how he built it, and yeah, I mean there's there is this that's actually another way to get started easier is to look for platforms that are kind of accelerating. So the Shopify app store right now, the Slack app store to a certain extent, a little bit harder to monetize that, but Shopify is amazing. Uh, the Heroku app store, um, places where people are already spending money and they, um, they want additional functionality and they're already spending money. So if there's Shopify subscriptions, $99 a month, and you're like, you can pay an extra 19 and get this um, you know, this functionality, people are willing to do it. But normally those start with, uh, you know, having clients and seeing like they request the same thing over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. Um, another person that did this is Pippin from Pippin's plugins. He was like, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are still doing like WordPress development and he was just like a regular WordPress developer, just getting, you know, whatever clients he could get, building, you know, crappy e-commerce websites and, you know, not crappy in the sense of quality, but just like they're crappy jobs. And he just kept noticing that people wanted, um, oh, what was it at the time? Oh, uh, this is when, uh, when, uh, carousels were really popular and there wasn't a good carousel plugin. And so, you know, he built one and uh, distributed it for free in the WordPress plugin store, but then had a premium version and people started buying it. So start small with an existing, like a need that you can see people are already willing to pay money for. And then if you're, especially if there's a good channel like the Shopify store or the WordPress plugin store or whatever, then you can you know, put it in there and you've got this marketing channel and you already have a sense that, okay, there's actually demand for this, at least on a, um, uh, a qualitative level. I can see I've got qualitative data that says there's something here and then you can, you know, put it out into the bigger world and see, okay, what actually generates from, you know, my hunch. Yeah. So I, I think that's the thing. There's also like a lot of software, uh, for example, could be like a, a, a MVP of that product could just be an Excel sheet with all the formulas kind of figured out. Um, you know, Ruben Gamez did that. Well, he built the software first, but he has a basically a, an Excel sheet that he uses for uh, lead gen for BidSketch, his proposal software. But he could have gone the other way. He could have started with the Excel sheet and sold that. Like you put in all your stuff and then, you know, it prints off these like really basic proposals. And then if there's a lot of demand, all of a sudden, you know, you might have a hundred customers who are willing to pay 19. You could reach out to them and say, if I built this as a web app and gave you all of these advantages, you know, all the places you're getting stuck right now, would you pay 19 a month for it? And you might get a bunch of people that say, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
I think one thing to be careful of, it, I, I can't say this from experience, but it's something I would be worried about. And I think people maybe get caught in this trap is if you're trying to build like a plugin or something that relies on a channel like the Shopify app store, like the WordPress plugin store, obviously mm-hmm. that's like awesome to have that channel to be able to sell stuff. But I worry that people might be looking at that as like, a way to avoid having to kind of put themselves out there and build an audience. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I have this like Mm -hmm. channel where I can like sell stuff through this plugin store. So that means like, I don't have to uh, become well-known or get people to care about who I am or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's seen as an alternative because I I mean, a lot of people in like the development sort of space are really introverted and stuff. Right. And they don't feel like super comfortable putting themselves out there and stuff like that. But I think it's important to understand that like it's an insane advantage to have um, people interested in what you have to say because you've done anything to sort of put yourself out there and, you know, share some of your ideas and get people interested, you know, do you have any thoughts on like how that kind of plays in with like, you know, looking for strategies to avoid people knowing or caring who you are? Yeah, I mean, I've I've tried to be careful here because I realize that everybody who's had any sort of success is always going to say, well, you should do it my way because that's how I got my success. And so much of it is is based on your personality, your your context in life, you know, like even at, like for you if you had uh launched your stuff after you'd had a baby, it would have been different than before you had your baby. Sure. Um, and so, and so context does play into this. And I think one good option for introverts and extroverts is to build up a name for yourself. Um, and there's good channels for introverts and extroverts to do that. And the advantage, like you said, is it's almost like, um, if you can build an audience and then just start a relationship with them and observe, you know, what questions do they always ask? What do they actually do? Like if you give people advice, do they just say, okay, or do they contact you in two weeks to say, I tried it and it worked, you know? So you'll get all this information about what are people actually doing? What do they actually really want? What are they highly motivated to maybe pay for? And in that sense, like having a personal brand, <laughs> there's no, there's no, uh, comparison, right? But there are other ways to do it. And, um, every channel has its pros and cons. The con to, jumping aboard something like the Shopify app store or whatever is there's going to be a ceiling to how far it's going to take you. And also it could go away. And so for example, Tyler, uh, I think he started with Shopify, but then he went into other e-commerce platforms too. Like he, he did, uh, you know, whatever the other ones are, there's those other terrible ones, <laughs> um, Magento <laughs> yeah, and stuff I was like that. Say Magento. <laughs> yeah, and so he he diversified, um, but uh, and and likewise, you know, like Barometrics, for example, started just with Stripe, and they've also had to diversify. And so, I think 
it's fine to use those platforms. It's fine to, you know, make that the place where you start small. But recognize you are eventually going to have to figure out some repeatable ways to get new customers. Now, for folks like you and I, <laughs> repeatable ways that you and I get more customers is we just keep um, building our brand. So uh, being active on Twitter, having a podcast, blogging, putting stuff out is the way that you know people know about us and maybe you know, get interested in the work that we're doing. But there are other ways of accomplishing that. And as long as you realize you're going to have to get good at one initially, and eventually you're going to have to diversify. Like for me personally, um, I always was like really avoided SEO. I thought it was like gross. <laughs> but... I'm starting to realize that um, having people find your work on search engines is actually <laughs> a really helpful thing. And so my search traffic was like maybe 5% of my kind of traffic for a long time. And I've gradually increased that to 30% or whatever I'm at now. And I want to keep increasing it because I think there's advantages to that. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that lets you ship your apps with confidence. CodeShip comes in two flavors. Uh, the first one is CodeShip Basic, which is a simple testing and deployment platform with pre-installed CI dependencies uh, that works right out of the box. The average setup time for a CodeShip Basic project is about three minutes, often less. Uh, the other flavor is CodeShip Pro. So CodeShip Pro is a fully customizable continuous integration and delivery platform with native Docker support. It makes it easy to test and deploy your microservices and push to any registry. It's also perfect if you want to deploy with Kubernetes and comes with a convenient local CLI tool that allows you to run your builds locally, helps with encrypting your environment variables, and guarantees 100% parity between your development and production environments. Both CodeShip Basic and CodeShip Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month, unlimited projects and unlimited users and open source projects are always free on CodeShip. So you can visit CodeShip.com today or check out CodeShip.com slash features to find out which CodeShip product is the best fit for you. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Back to the show. I think there's something about like the SEO term that like makes people kind of like uh, SEO. Like it feels mm -hmm. like you're trying to create shitty content to cheat at the internet or something. But the nice thing about like the way search engines and stuff have evolved and you know how sophisticated they've gotten now is like seo for the most part now is really just like creating like the best content about something and you will be rewarded for it because you know it is good you know what i mean uh, yeah. i think things are getting better in that way like it's not so much about like uh, how many people can i get to link to me from their blogs and all this, these sort of hacks and stuff. Like, I think you can do pretty well now just by like, how can I like create some really awesome content um, kind of designed for someone to find on their own, you know? And that's kind yeah. of like what SEO sort of has become now, which is, is great because it feels a lot more genuine and, and less sleazy and honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think this is the other thing that developers need to consider and it's, it's the reason I wrote, uh, marketing for developers 
is that a lot of people want the freedom that comes from having their own product and their own business. But when they actually try it out, they don't like it. They don't like marketing. They don't like sales. They don't like answering people's emails. They don't like putting themselves out there. They don't like um, the criticism that comes from putting something out there. And all of that's okay. You don't have to like any of that. But if you're going to have a business, you're going to either need someone to do that for you or you're going to have to do it yourself. And until you try this on like new clothes, you're not going to know if it's right for you. So instead of going into your cave for six months and then emerging with, you know, uh, some sort of SaaS app, I would recommend you try out all of those things with something smaller and see how it feels. Like, okay, here's a landing page. This is what I always tell people to do first is you get an idea before you do anything, like even if you were going to write a book, but definitely before you write any software, put up a landing page. And this is going to help you do a, uh, this is going to help you achieve a bunch of things. First, you're going to have to clearly describe the struggle that you're helping people overcome and basically how you, you're going to, what you're, in what way are you going to make them more awesome? What are you promising them? What better life are you promising them? And most folks can't even articulate that. Like, it's like, well, why are you building a new project management app? Well, all the other ones are ugly. Well, nice, like, uh, more beautiful project management software doesn't help me as a customer at all. It, does it make me faster? Does it help me lose less projects? Does it, you know, help me impress my boss? What advantage are you going to give me as a user? And so writing the landing page helps you really distill what, what is the actual reason you're putting this out in the world? Because if it's just that it's nicer looking or it's got better guts, you know, none of that matters to, to customers. Then you've distilled basically who this is for and, you know, what obstacle you're helping them overcome and what dream of a better life you're helping them get to. Then the next question people always ask me is, okay, I got the landing page. How do I get people to, how do I get traffic? And I'm like, that's a damn good question. You would have had to figure that out with a SaaS app eventually. It's a good thing you're figuring this out now. <laughs> and so, you know, like if you're, if your app is like an awesome app for, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, like, if your app is a colony management software for Amish people and then you put up the landing page and, and then you, you're like, how do I get more traffic to the site? And I would say, well, if your target market is Amish people, you're probably going to have a hard time, right? Sure. That's an extreme example, but <laughs> if, if, if you can't figure out how to get traffic to a simple landing page, you're going to have a, it's just a good thing that you learned it time. now before you spent six months building the app that you can't get traffic yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Learn, learn it now. Then you're going to get traffic. And what you want to figure out is, is there, can I get any sort of conversion on this website? And so most folks, like for you, for example, for test driven Laravel, you said, um, 
you know, I'm going to be launching this soon. You didn't launch it soon, but you're going to launch soon. And then, uh, and then if you're interested, sign up for four free lessons or whatever. Sure. And then you're able to track how interested people are in that particular topic. Um, can you, can you talk about that design thing at all that you're doing with, uh, Steve? Is it Steve? Yeah. Um, yeah, like we're working on this sort of free site that's going to be like a series of case studies to kind of show you how to take um, a design that is maybe a design that you're working on for your side project that you kind of put together yourself and then walk through it sort of step by step and show you like really tactical small improvements that you can make and have like an eventual before and after for the for the whole page or whatever at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's a site called refactoring UI. We just put up like a landing page to start collecting emails and also to start collecting like submissions from people. Cause the whole point of the site is users submit projects that they're working on and they're not happy with the design because you know, they're not designers and they basically want yep. free help with it. And we try to give them free help tuned and sort of tailored in a way that like will make it stick because a developer is helping you with it. And he sort of understands what's going to help you because I know what helped me as a developer in terms of like figuring out like the rules for design or the right way to think about it such that it was like something I could put in my pocket and apply going forward. Not just like some mystical art skill, you know, that I have no idea how to just apply to some blank canvas or whatever. Yeah. And, and can you, can you say like how many email subscribers it's got so far? Uh, I think it's about 3,500. 3,500. So this is, this is my whole point. And I think people should go to the site. It's refactoringui.com. So it, it kind of hits everything I've just talked about. What's the, the struggle? You're tired of relying on bootstrap, right? Like yeah. that's the struggle. What is the, uh, kind of vision of a better life? Well, you have a before and after screenshot there. So it's like, it goes from this like very bootstrappy looking site to something that looks fresh and like completely unique. And then you have get the first case study when it's ready and a, a subscription form. And you're able to evaluate, you know, is it worth it for us to do this? And what I usually say is if you can't get 500 people to sign up, then it's probably not worth pursuing. Yeah. Now, it might be a really good idea, but maybe the challenge is you just can't get enough traffic to the page. Um, it might You might be able to get a lot of traffic to the page, but once people land there, it's like, nah, this isn't something that's a big enough struggle for me, you know, that's big enough that I'll put my email address in. That's just too much of a commitment. Well, if you can't get them to put their email address in, it's going to be real hard to get them to give you $29 sure. a month, right? Yeah. I think the other thing and, that's important to think about though is that like obviously making a landing page early is super, super important, but I don't think you can just like make a landing page having done nothing else before making that landing page to sort of get people to even care that you made a landing page. You know what I mean? So like with yeah. the refactoring UI stuff, like Steve started putting out these tips on Twitter that were just really quick. Like here's like one little tiny before and after tweak that you can make to a design. And he's been doing that since like May or something. And yeah. he, w- he went from like 1500 Twitter followers to almost 10,000 now in that amount of time. And these tweets sometimes <laughs> get 2000 likes <laughs> Um, which is obviously That's like crazy. insane sort of traction for whatever. Right. So it, yeah. do, it doesn't always have to be like that crazy, but um, 
you know, there's some work sort of put into like really cheaply sort of just gauge, like, is this even interesting at all? And once you can get these people who are like waiting for this next tweet tip to come out, then when you put out this landing page saying, Hey, we're going to start putting together a lot more in depth sort of content based around this same sort of idea, sign up if you're interested in that and people already trust you and they already care. I mean, it's the same with like my testing course, right? Like I didn't just make a landing page and then trust that the landing page was going to tell me if it was going to be worth doing. Like, I Mm -hmm. think people sometimes make this mistake of, of making a landing page and then having not getting traction on the landing page and then throwing the idea out too early because like with that, with that course, it started as like, I had an idea for a conference talk and I was fortunate enough to already be sort of in like the conference speaking circuit. So I was, you know, lucky enough to get a slot to give a talk. So I gave a talk called yeah. test driven Laravel and it got, um, recorded, but only the audio and the audio got shared on Twitter, which was so weird to only record the audio <laughs> of, of a live coding presentation. Um, yeah. But, you know, people who are at the conference that really enjoyed the talk, like, shared it without even watching it. And then everyone was like, where's the video? Where's the video? So then I made, like, a screencast <laughs> version of the conference talk. And that got, like, yeah. a bunch of traction. And the screencast earned me, like, enough of a reputation with testing that I was able to give a workshop at, like, Laracon in Amsterdam uh, to 25 people. And there was, like, four workshops, and mine was the only one that sold out. And I got paid, like, $4,000 to do that workshop. So now it's like, okay, so there's, like, something here. So then I decided let's see if I can get some traction with a landing page. You know what I mean? And this whole process was like a year before I ever made the landing page. It wasn't like a year of like, this is the only thing in my head. This is what I'm working on full time. But like, it's a year of like, there's little feelers kind of out for different ideas and you're sort of building it up, kind of pushing that snowball down the hill until eventually you can really, you know, capitalize and make this landing page and kind of get the most out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's such a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's true. Like often folks will just, you know, put a landing page up and then go, well, how come it's not working? And it could be that you haven't done all of the work you need to do beforehand. Um, One trick I have is if you go to analytics.twitter.com, it'll show you month by month your top tweet, your top mention, et cetera. And it's interesting to kind of see, even if you only have a hundred followers, like, is there something that you tweeted that really, you know, kind of popped? And sometimes those are the things that are worth kind of pursuing a little bit more. Not, maybe not like if you just had one tweet that kind of went crazy, then, you know, put up a landing page then. No, try more tweets in that same kind of, uh, that same vein. And see if there's still more engagement. And, um, and eventually, yet yeah, once you've been talking about it for a long time, then you can see, then yeah, put up a landing page and people are almost like primed for it by that point. You yeah. know, like they're, they're, they're walking with you. I think it's also interesting. You know, I, I put out, I had this like big day where I was just like fed up with, uh, I really want to have a flat file CMS, but I don't want to use Jekyll. And I was, I was like, I, and I love, I'm different than a lot of people in that I really like the, the GitHub desktop client. And I was like, man, if there was like an abstraction of Jekyll that was a desktop client that integrated with GitHub pages, that would be amazing. And, you know, I tweeted about it and, um, 
I had a lot of people that were like interested in the project, but I could tell that a lot of folks were just like interested in it because it sounded kind of cool to work on. Hmm. I think the real test would be if someone came back to me in a couple of weeks and said, Hey, whatever happened to that idea, man, that's something I really like. I think about that every time I go to write a blog post, I really need that thing. And, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes we get like, there's some excitement over something and we're like, okay, well, this is it. We, we just grasp for anything that's kind of like garnered some interest, but you almost need to be patient and wait. Like you said, you know, you, you, uh, you put out this thing and okay, that got some interest and then, okay, people were willing to pay for it. And you know, it kind of builds on itself like a snowball. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to put out a landing page and then, you know, it keeps going. And, um, the, the folks that really figured this out are the folks that are kind of always testing the, their ideas, even when they're small ideas. And that's why Twitter's so fun is because you can test something, even when it's just a tiny little idea, put it out and see if it gets any sort of reaction. Yeah. And if it gets a reaction, you can try it again. And if that gets a reaction, you can try it again. And it, you know, if that gets a reaction, you can write a blog post. And if that blog post gets you a conference talk and it, then it kind of builds on it, on itself. But, you know, I've put out like 30,000 tweets or something like that. And there's a lot of those tweets that nobody cared about. Sure. It was, it was when I was talking about, you know, the first big jump for me was when I started giving marketing advice specifically to software developers and specifically to indie software developers, that's where I started to see, wow, like these, the engagement on these tweets or these podcast episodes are just off the charts. And I put up other landing pages before, but I remember like I put up marketing for developers and it just said marketing for developers, a book about how to build and launch your own stuff or something. And I think I linked to it, it like way in a hacker news thread, like embedded really deep. And it got, I think over the weekend, it got two or 3,000 signups. And you can just tell like, oh, I put up this landing page and it got 25 signups. I put up this landing page and it got 3,000 signups. <laughs> the difference is so, you know, um, so striking. And it's almost kind of like, betting on the best horse. And I think sometimes we, we just, we just, you know, start putting money on the first horse we ever see, we ever saw just because, you know, we thought that would be a good idea. But if you tested a few ideas out and you'd put a few things out there, you'd be able to see, wow, like I wanted to build project management software for Amish people and that didn't go anywhere. But then I said, I'll build project management software for, you know, um, software teams of 10 people and that really went somewhere. Yeah. It it's it you you being able to see a couple different responses is really helpful. And also being talking to other folks that you know have tried different things. That's why I always say like if you can't get 500 people, it's probably a bad sign. Um and uh, you know, not every sign-up list needs 3,000 people. Sometimes you just need the 500, but 500 is a good kind of solid number for, for most sure. audiences. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think like um, the whole idea of just like putting tons of different stuff out there 
you know, to sort of test the waters and see what what kind of picks up traction is really important. I think you can also come at that from a slightly different angle, though, because as a developer, I think a lot of people, they just feel slimy about this idea of like, oh, I'm testing my ideas or I'm trying to figure out like what people are going to buy or whatever. Like people mm-hmm. are just super allergic to that stuff for some reason in like the developer community. But you can get like the same sort of results just by just kind of like being around and like working in public and talking about the things that you're interested in. And like, if you learn something cool or if you have an approach to doing something and you write it up, you can just see like what, what people care about. And it doesn't have to feel like I'm testing an idea, if that makes sense. So like an example for me is like, I do uh, these live streams, these live coding streams a lot. And uh, while I was doing them, people really started to like ask me questions about like how I was approaching like CSS, because I guess I was doing something that people hadn't seen before um and not only hadn't they seen it before but it was like really interesting and exciting to them and i never even really thought twice about it right like i had sort of built up this little toolkit of like how i approach css over the last couple years and just kind of kept it to myself never even thought at all that anyone would even care um but people started like posting in the chat in the live stream like oh like is this like a framework or something or people would uh message me on twitter like oh do another episode where you do some like HTML stuff. Cause I really want to see how you're going to do this or whatever. And all of a sudden I started realizing people think this CSS stuff is interesting. Well, um, maybe I should like put this out as like an open source thing that like people can mess around with or whatever. So I put up yeah. like a landing page for a CSS framework and I had a buddy that was helping me out on it. Cause I had like shared it with him and he was working on it on a project and he was like, telling me dude this has like changed my life this has changed the way that i'm gonna write css forever and that's what really got me thinking okay well maybe other people will be into this so we put up a landing page for that a couple weeks ago and it's got like three thousand signups or something the twitter account has like 800 followers and it's never tweeted um you know like (laughs) and and this is again is this isn't from like testing ideas really it's just from like working in public like letting people see yeah. what you're doing, letting people sort of like notice for themselves, like what you know that they wish they knew um, and stuff yeah. like that. So it doesn't always have to feel like you're, you're trying to like test things in like this sort of, you know, sleazy way or whatever necessarily. You know what I mean? It's just about like um, give people the opportunity to notice what they think is interesting about you, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that like the other way of putting that, advice is uh do things and tell people and sometimes like the tell people part is just like if you create um you know if you have something on github and it's public and you think it'd be useful for other people don't just let it sit there tell people about it so link to it be don't be ashamed to link to stuff that you've made and uh, because you'll never know if it really is useful for people and you'll never get that feedback that you were talking about. And it's, it's not always like direct feedback, like, you know, Oh wow, this was really helpful. Sometimes it's like, Hey, I, as a total aside, I noticed that you're like working with CSS totally differently than I am. That's super interesting to me. And it's those reactions that can become the seeds for new projects, but you'd never have that unless you create the opportunity for these collisions to happen. Um, it could also just be like, 
you know, I know some people and I just recognize them as like they don't blog or anything, but they just go to every event and you just always see them there. And that's kind of their thing. Like they go to events and they hang out with people and they buy people drinks and, you know, they're great hosts and they just very sociable and they're getting all sorts of that kind of, um, uh, all those cues just from going to conferences. That's one thing you could do, but you have to create the opportunity for that to happen. If you, if all you do is go to work and come home and work on your own project and don't tell anybody about it, um, that you're, you're just, that the, the, the missing piece is you need human interaction and, you know, there's so many products that got built this way where they were like, you know, you're working on a podcast search engine, but really this Twitter thing is kind of interesting. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of insight you're looking for. And the only way you get that is running into people, um, or having them run into you. Yeah. And you, yeah, that means you got to get out there in some way. It, it might mean your, your stuff is just super optimized for search. It might mean you go to every single meetup in your city. It might mean you're just awesome at Twitter and, you know, may, maybe you're just really good at answering questions on Hacker News. Like you go to Ask HN every day and you're just replying and you build up a reputation as, you know, this person that's just great at answering questions. Yep. That's the stuff you need to be doing if you're going to find good product ideas and eventually get to a place where you can be independent. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer so the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important if we get an email from a customer and the customer says you know your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to rollbar and to say okay you know this individual customer this is how they're experiencing the site because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. Something you mentioned there that I think is like a, a really interesting piece that I don't think I've ever really thought about explicitly, but for developers who are looking to sort of, I guess, practice and get better at like marketing and just like making projects feel like products, if that makes sense. I think open source mm -hmm. is actually like a really interesting opportunity there because there's a lot of like packages that you might download um, to hook into your application or something that have like uh, poor documentation 
or like no branding or anything like that, um, that are really easy to compete with if you're willing to like put like an ins- like a tutorial video on the GitHub page on like how to get started. Like that's something that you don't see um, very mm-hmm. often. You know what I mean? So I think uh, if if someone just wanted to like practice sort of making something that people care about and getting people to like notice something that they're working on, trying to do like yeah. a really good job with like an open source thing, I think is a an interesting way to do that. Especially like if you are the type of person who doesn't feel like you have a lot to blog about or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean you can make yeah. software and people will find it through GitHub. And if, if you're solving like a problem in an interesting way and you do a really good job making the whole thing feel really polished, that can be like a good way to, to attract some attention, I think too. Yeah, totally. And, and again, it'll help you practice all the things that you're going to need to have built up uh, expertise in if you are going to eventually launch a product. So practicing these things and saying, okay, well, you know, I, I released this thing on GitHub. Okay, now work. How else could I, you know, the GitHub search engine might pick it up, but maybe I should put it on show HN and see if people find it useful there, you know. So you're discovering channels, you're trying them out, you're seeing what works, what doesn't. Um, yeah, I think that's a great way of doing it. I think another interesting thing too is that um, I think people often think that the first idea that they need to come up with for like some product is like, I need to figure out like the app that I'm going to make that's going to like make me a living for the rest of my life. And that should be like my first idea. Um, Mm -hmm. And that anything else is like not worth doing. But I think like the, the important thing to realize there is that every single thing that you make is going to give you like an idea for another thing to make. Like almost, almost always like, Uh, If you are working on like an open source GitHub project or something and you thought you didn't have anything to blog about before, like I promise after like people start using it and maintaining it or or you're maintaining it and dealing with issues and stuff, like pretty soon you're going to want to write a blog post about like how you manage breaking changes in this library, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like everything just kind of stair steps into like the next thing sort of, sort of really naturally. Like Mm -hmm. I think like a, a really cool example of that that's like at a much bigger scale of course is like what Brennan Dunn has with like write message now right like I don't think back yeah. at, when he was trying to dream up some perfect SaaS idea he would have ever thought yeah. like I want to build this thing to do like help people personalize their websites based on where their traffic is coming from but he built something yeah. completely unrelated and which is his double your freelancing site which is like a a blog with tons of articles and stuff and some paid products and stuff on there. And, yeah. you know, uh, from doing that and like trying to sell stuff there and working on the products there, it he just kind of like stumbled into this idea of like, you know, I really want to like personalize this a little bit for the people coming in because if, if I know someone's a developer, well, I'd like to be able to explain to them why this is helpful for developers. And, you know, after a year or two of that strategy really helping him with that business, all of a sudden he's got this idea to turn that into a, a SaaS app that a lot of other people are going to find useful now too. So even if his goal from day one was to come up with a SaaS app and eventually run a SaaS app for a living, there's nothing saying that like creating an ebook first isn't going to be that like thing that eventually gives you the idea that you need to build something that's actually valuable to people that people are actually going to pay for. Yeah. Yeah. It just increases the chance of more collisions. Like I said, um, and it actually, 
See, I, I tried to like describe this as the freedom ladder, but the actual best description of this is Rob Walling's stair step approach, which is, you know, you start with something small and then you level up to the next thing, you level up to the next thing. And the reason you're able to level up each time is exactly what you said. Each time you put something out into the world, you all of a sudden get people saying, Hey, what, how did you do this? How are you working on this? What's, you know, and the other advantage is, you know, like I said, my first thing made, I I just looked it up. It was like 3000 bucks after launch. Well, that's not enough to quit my job, but that's a lot more customers than I had before. And that's a lot more independent income than I had before. And so I was able to do, you know, I think it was like 5,000 the first year and then 10,000 the next year and then 20,000 the next year and then 40,000 the next year. And it just kept stair stepping up in terms of income as well. And instead of you putting all your hopes and dreams and ego into like one SaaS product, it's like, this has got to be everything. It's got to make a hundred grand off, you know, first year so I can pay my bills. And, you know, instead of putting everything into that, you can start small and just put something out there. And it, you know, maybe at first you're not even trying to make dollars. You're just trying to get subscribers or you're just trying to get Twitter followers or you're just trying to get something. And then you stair step that up into, okay, well, what if I put a price on this? And then it's like, whoa, that made 10,000. Okay. Well, what if I, and now everyone wants to know, you know, something unrelated to the first product, but completely about the process I used to make the product. So now I'm going to do that. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it's still not like a guarantee. None of this is guaranteed, no, by the way. Not. I think that's the, that's the other thing is that I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says this is possible for everybody because we live, in, <laughs> we live in a capitalist society where by its very nature, the winners win and the losers lose. <laughs> like that's how it works. And so, there's a lot of people out there that are like selling this snake oil saying everybody can win. Not everybody can win, but you have a much better chance of winning if you start now and start small and then just gradually level up over time. And for some people, you're going to level up faster. Other people, you're going to level up slower, but the, the guaranteed you'll be further ahead if you start small and you know, kind of work in all these principles we're talking about. And it just takes time. It's not, uh, I've got so many friends that, you know, they just, they were like fed up with work and they're like, okay, I'm quitting done. I'm, I'm quitting my job, going to build my own stuff. And then there's so much pressure on them to like make that thing. That's going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it just never works. That pressure never <laughs> never like results in you making a great product that people want way easier to do it over time. You know, I started in 2000, I started blogging in 2008 and then I think 2012 or 13 is when I made my first dollar on the side. Yeah. Like it just, it just takes time. And the, the, the goal isn't to just, you know, make a million dollars right out of the gate. The goal is I'm going to get started on this journey 
that's eventually going to lead to some independence and freedom and all these things that people want. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, like another good example of like starting from one completely unrelated product and ending up running a software company is like what Nathan Berry did with ConvertKit, right? Like create mm-hmm. a create an ebook on web app design, which leads to oh, I'd like to make another ebook. Maybe the someone will do an ebook on iOS app design. It's like, well, I think yeah. I'm like pretty good at like writing these ebooks, and people are really interested in these blog posts I'm writing that are explaining like how my launches have been going and stuff. Why don't I write up everything I've learned about creating and selling ebooks and put that into a book? And uh, from there, you know the next thing that I wanted to be able to do is, you know, make that more successful and stuff. And I found out that email marketing has been like the best way for me to um, sell my products and stuff like that. But the tool that I'm using for that right now is, you know, not the best. So maybe I'll try my hand at trying to build something myself. Like he would have never wanted to build ConvertKit, an email marketing automation tool, if he hadn't written a book on designing web applications years and years before, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And, what a lot of people don't know is he started with an iOS app called Commit. Actually, even before that, he started with uh, an iOS app that was super niche. It was it was for um, it was some sort of uh, like a, a, assistive app for people who uh, had visual impairment or something like that. So he built like these two iOS apps. And, you know, after he did the second one, uh, commit, he's like, I should write a book about designing, uh, you know, designing apps. And so then he wrote the book about designing apps. It led into that and then, you know, took him on. So definitely, you know, commit wasn't the app that made him all of his money and, you know, created the freedom he wanted, but the act of putting that out there. And him going, hmm, well, I'm not sure if I really want to build my whole business on the app store. He learned a lot. And then I tried this, this teaching thing and that just went gangbusters. So I can compare my experience, you know, one year doing iOS and one year doing this teaching business, teaching business way better. And then, yeah, he was able to keep stair stepping that up. Uh, but a lot of folks don't know that he had two, uh, iOS apps before that and, you know, that weren't like incredible successes. They were, they did okay, but nothing like what he's doing now. Yeah. Cool, man. And then go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, and the mistake a lot of people might make is they might like launch that first thing and be like, this has got to be it, you know? But I think the other skill you're going to have to develop if you're going to get into products is the willingness to try things and then move on. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we've been going for, uh, about an hour now and we didn't get into basically like half the stuff I had sketched out for us, but I think we still got into a lot of interesting stuff that I wasn't expecting to. So, um, I think, I don't know for me, I think like the real, the real interesting takeaway uh, from this conversation that I didn't expect us to get into is just this idea of, uh, don't be afraid to create something that isn't going to be the thing that makes you a million dollars. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. everything is, going to be connected. Yeah. Yeah. Just get started. Like just anything, like write a blog post, put out a tutorial video, write a tweet, do a workshop, answer a forum question. It, it It's, you have to create the opportunities for there to be collision, I guess is what I've said. 
Awesome. So I guess the bad news is that if uh, you're at your job right now and uh, you're on your drive home listening to this podcast because you hate your job and you want to work for yourself, (laughs) that there's no uh, magic secret that's going to let you quit uh, next week or anything. But hopefully, Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully people have picked up uh, some interesting, you know, ideas and things to think about in terms of uh, what they can do to kind of get the ball moving in the right direction to eventually be able to, uh, to make a living from their own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The hope is sure. You might not be able to quit next week, but maybe you can quit in four years and that's pretty good. Yeah. You know? Cause yeah. think about yeah. the alternative. Like if you're not going to quit in four years, then you're probably going to quit in 40 years when you have enough money in the <laughs> bank to retire or something. Right. So yeah, four years yeah. sounds like a long time, but is it really, it's, you know, that's 90% less time than it would have been otherwise. <laughs> exactly cool man well uh, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you about this stuff thanks for coming on and giving me your time yeah dude i I love being on your show thanks so much for having me is there anything uh, you want to plug or anything before we get going yeah i mean if this is if this is where you're at and you're trying to think what are the steps to actually you know as a software developer go through all this stuff uh, marketing for developers is a great option um, and it's called marketing for developers, but it's really like product development and marketing for developers. It shows you how to build an audience, how to find something people want, all that stuff. So check that out for sure. Um, and if you just want something free, if you Google um, my microconf talk, uh, I think I call it the Freedom Ladder, Justin Jackson Freedom Ladder. And my Laricon talk at uh, is on streamacon.com. Um, and that goes through a lot of this stuff too. Just telling the story of how myself and other people have been able to accomplish this. Awesome, man. Well, if anyone is interested in uh, show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 73. Thanks to Rollbar and CodeChip for sponsoring the podcast this week. And uh, if you have any feedback, Reach out on Twitter, shoot me an email, and uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you enjoyed the episode. If you didn't enjoy the episode, stay away from the iTunes uh, ratings there. (laughs) But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll catch you next time.